0: Uh, today, on Sunday, uh, literally millions and millions and millions of people are gathering around the world worshiping Jesus Christ. And I, I just hope you can get an understanding of the gravity of that. And it all began by a man who walked by faith. And one of the things that we learned from Abram is, like us, his life was a big hot mess. And so, to be a person of faith does not mean you live a life of perfection. It means that you live a life with your eyes on the things of God. Messes, difficulties, struggles will come. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you don't haven't come to that place to understand that, uh, then you're just running in probably in circles and. Founding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. If you've been tracking with us these past weeks in our series on Genesis, Abram becomes a very interesting character in the Bible today, for several reasons. One, one is he's the father or the patriarch of the Jewish people. And as we've been sharing uh, each week, uh, the Jewish people, two things came to us in, in terms of blessing. One is the word of God, 66 books in the Bible, 64 of them written by Jewish men. Uh, came to us so we're blessed by the Word of God and also Jesus himself a Jew born in uh, Bethlehem uh, came to us as the Savior of the world and so in chapter 12 when God was calling Abram he said I want to call you out from a land to a new land and make you a great nation and of course we're participants of that today he brought Abram out to see the stars of the sea and he said, so shall your descendants be. I just want to ta- you to take a look around you. Uh, you know, you are like one of those stars this morning if you know Christ Jesus as your Savior. And uh, today, on Sunday, uh, literally millions and millions and millions of people are gathering around the world worshiping Jesus Christ. And I, I just hope you can get an understanding of the gravity of that. And it all began by a man who walked by faith. And one of the things that we learned from Abram is, like us, his life was a big hot mess. And so to be a person of faith does not mean you live a life of perfection. It means that you live a life with your eyes on the things of God. Messes, difficulties, struggles will come. Amen? Uh, if you don't haven't come to that place to understand that, uh, then you're just running and probably in circles. And so we come to an understanding that life is complex, life is difficult, but God gives us this word, a word from Himself, that our hearts may be taken comfort and have an understanding that there are purposes in all of it. So here we are, another part of Abram's life in chapter. 16 of Genesis, and we see uh, another left turn in Abram's and Hagar's life. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Uh, just a parenthetical statement here, 10 years have passed in his life since God had called him out. Over a thousand miles he traveled to be in this place based on the word of God that a child would come and a great nation through that child would come. And now here we have this statement that has yet to be realized no child and she had a female egyptian servant whose name was hagar and sarah said to abram behold now the lord the lord has prevented me from bearing children go into my servant it may be that i shall obtain children by her and abram listened to the voice of sarah So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, who's Sarah. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you? I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her and Hagar fled from her. Father Help us to just learn something here about the human condition and who you are in the midst of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, warns each of us to not let be led captive by deceit, by empty philosophies. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that every person, unless they're mentally ill, desires happiness and peace. We desire to have a piece of that happiness, joy in our lives in the few days we have on earth. And there are a variety of ways that we go to pursue that. And many of the ideas that have come into the hearts of people these ideas, these philosophies, are apart from the Word of God. They don't bear His blessing. And so we have all kinds of ideas, whether it be material goods, or pleasure, or uh, a relationship to fill that loneliness within us. Whatever it may be, many are just running and chasing after various things to fill, as we were singing before, to fill that well that's within our hearts. And yet, God extends to us a great invitation through the person of Jesus Christ, that he himself is desiring to fill us to overflowing, and and yet what we find in our lives is that often we'll point ourselves in the wrong direction. I don't know about you, but I've taken a number of left turns, and guess where the left turn always takes me? in the wrong place but God in his kindness to to us and this is God's kindness His mercy even when we take these turns based on a wrong idea he's there to greet us in the mess that we've created for ourselves and speak tenderly to us and bring us back to himself that is such a beautiful thought because each of us have done things that we would rather not have done in this life. But God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace. He's a God of great compassion, whose mercies are new every morning. And if we're willing, in the midst of the messes of life, and all the poor choices we may make, He's there to greet us and to speak to our hearts. We come to the life of Abram and Sarah, and it's clear to us that she and, and her husband Abram take a serious wrong left turn here. God had promised that he was going to give them a child. Scripture here opens up that she's childless, and in the pain and the absence of a family, she comes up with a new idea. Now this idea was not a very good idea. Uh, as any of us would could attest, if you can try to import yourself into it, her idea is to present Hagar, her servant, who's helping her out around the house, as a surrogate mother to foster this vision that God had given both of them. This was not God's idea. This was Sarah's idea. And the text is very strange indeed when it says that Abram, listened to her. Now, if you go back to chapter 15, the previous chapter, we find with Abram, he's struggling himself. Where is this son that you promised? And he says to God, if you do not give me this son, Eliezer, my servant, is going to wind up inheriting my estate. And what happened to this vision that you had given me when I left Ur of Chaldea, 10 years before, where is this sun? And God leads him to the uh, night sky and shows him the stars, so shall your descendants be. And it's just a tremendous reminder that as God speaks, he says, I will bring what I said to pass. My promise to you is irrevocable. It cannot be changed. You need to wait on it. Isn't that where the problem lies, isn't it? the waiting. Oh how I hate to wait. I don't know about you. I want it now and yesterday. But the problem is when we anxiously pursue our own dreams we wind up taking left turns and our situation goes from bad to worse because we become the arbitrators of our own destiny. It's such a hard, harsh lesson to learn to wait on the Lord and to trust Him. It's probably the greatest lesson any of us can learn in this life. And so, as we look to Sarah and Abram, we see a woman who's come to a place of despair. Now, remember at this point, Sarah would be beyond menopause with fading beauty. In that place, She would allow doubt, discouragement, and despair to enter her heart. She's desperate for a family of her own. I tried to imagine the tension between her and Abram as as God delayed the fulfillment of his promise. I can imagine the conversation something like this. Where is this son that God promised to us, Abram? Where is this family and this nation that you told me about? when you receive this vision. We're, we're chasing a fool's paradise. Abram, it's an empty dream. And as discouragement set into her heart, doubt, she begins to entertain several lies in her heart that would create problems not only for her life, but also Abram's life. And I would argue that this deception also would create Great problems for the world that we're still experiencing to this day through the son that would be born through Agar who was Ishmael, the father of the Arabic nations. We're going to talk about that but I want us to talk about three lies and deceptions that enter our heart that also we struggle with this morning. The first one is this, misunderstanding our difficult circumstances misunderstanding our difficult circumstances. Verse 1, look at, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had born no children. Infertility for any woman in any culture at any time is a hard pill to swallow. A woman who faces infertility is a woman who may be tempted to question her home worth and value. In Eastern culture, the stigma of infertility is even greater than what a person would face in the West today. Uh, we have a doctrine that's been uh, paraded before our culture again and again these last several years, and that is uh, that the uh, people are the problem on planet Earth, and the solution to that is to depopulate the Earth, uh, which is, by the way, we talked about this months ago when we were in Genesis chapter 1-2. That's a lie. Uh, the world is... We have plenty of resources. It's just a question of whether we're trusting the Lord. So uh, in the West, today, modern culture, uh, having large families is just almost an anathema. It's almost like a heresy. But back then, uh, and also Eastern culture today, having large families was a badge of honor for a woman. And so we see this theme repeated through the Bible. We see snapshots of despair. For example, in Abram's uh, grandson, Jacob, his wife, Rachel, who resorted to deception to have children. We see Hannah, who was the mother of the prophet Samuel, who wept before the Lord with her infertility. Uh, When we were in India, we saw the hallmarks of ancient Indian or Eastern culture. During our time there, every year a festival would take part where literally tens of thousands would descend on the city that we lived in and the women would go into this large cistern one at a time and they were methodically going through this one after another and they would change their saris and they would uh, put on a new sari in the hope that the that the gods would bless them and bring them children and we saw great when there a woman was Without children in India, it was such a great stigma. They thought that the gods had cursed them. And so Sarah felt the stigma of being barren, but she misunderstood her circumstances. She could not see that God was inserting time into the formula for his vision for her and Abram. And because she could not see God's point of view, a lie began to creep into her heart. Isn't that the way it goes, isn't it? When we stop looking to the things of God and, and we become anxious in this space where life just gets so difficult and we get our eyes on our own solutions and our own path and our own ways, a folly of foolishness begins to enter in. And instead of going towards the things of God and growing deeper and understanding that he is our source of joy in everything, we begin to become more self-absorbed. And in that place, misery... Sets in. That is so, I know that's true of my life. So the first thing she misunderstood is circumstances. The second thing she misunderstood was God's nature. Look at verse 2 in the text. She said, the Lord has kept me from having children. So she had come to the conclusion that somehow her infertility was a curse of God in some way. That somehow perhaps her and Abram did something wrong. Notice how one lie feeds into another. She believes she was barren, and in her despair she allows her heart and mind to take on something that totally disagree with God's word. God is not true to his promise of giving me a son. Do you remember last week when Abram again went through that scene struggle? He questioned God's ability to do what he could do. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that sometimes. Uh, several nights ago, I was just sharing with Pastor Mike, I spent almost the whole night in prayer, struggling over one thing that I don't want in my life. Physical weakness. And I wonder why God allows that allowed that into my life. And I rested all night, and God in his goodness greeted me the next morning with a time of prayer of another brother in Christ. Later in the morning, another brother showed up. We spent time in prayer. I was in turkey swamp all day in prayer and it became a prayer retreat and by the end of the day i began to surrender and be okay on his timing he allows weakness he allows difficulty and instead of laying the blame at god's feet for my woes and struggles i began to realize wait a minute if i'm going to trust him in his word then somehow through this period of time he's accomplishing something that i couldn't can't see And the only tool I have at my disposal is faith to trust him that he's going to bring me to that safe place and outcome. Sarah could not see that. And she really was basically saying, with so many in scripture, including Eve, did God really say when Satan tempted her? When we're discouraged and despairing and not getting what we want in life, it's a tremendous temptation to doubt God's goodness. And the only thing that we have in the midst of difficulty to remind us that God is indeed good is his promise and his word that he is good. It's interesting, at the end of the Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, 150 of them, one of the last Psalms, he says, uh, his mercy and goodness endure forever. And he repeats it again and again. And I always wondered when I read that Psalm, This is awfully repetitive. Do we need to be reminded of his goodness? Absolutely. Interestingly, you find so many prayers of despair in Psalms. Psalm 74, why, O Lord, have you rejected us? Why does your anger smolder against us, the sheep of your pastor? Psalm 88, the psalmist told the Lord, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, There's another 10 psalms of absolute despair and lament we find in the Bible. God's just giving us a snapshot on the human heart and how we struggle with this. We struggle with this formula that God has that he allows difficulty in our lives and the time that we are in that difficulty is being used by God to produce something good to transform us and change us into the person he wants us to be. I don't like it. Isn't that what um, Sam said with his green eggs and ham? Not one bit. I'd read that story to my kids again and again. Nope, don't like it. I want my ham and eggs to be normal colored. Psychologists define depression one way as anger turned inwards. Anger can be advanced form of discouragement when a personal goal or desire is blocked. And when discouragement turns to anger, we may, we may begin to loathe ourselves or blame others or even blame God. If God is good and powerful and in control, why is he allowing me to face this place of barrenness? For Sarah, the lie was simply this— God is not only reneging on his promise, but he's keeping me from having a baby. My circumstances is God's fault. He is not a faithful God. And so we see this lie enter her heart. The lie of circumstances. Why? The lie of God's nature and character. And the final lie that she had allowed in her heart is this. Look at verse 2. A misunderstanding to the solution to her problem. This is where the story gets very tricky indeed. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children now. Sarah said to, to, to Abram, Go into my servant that may have children by her. Bad idea. Bad idea. This is not God's idea. I think we all know that. I will give my servant Hagar to my husband. I'll get a son through her. This is an idea that comes out of Anger, despair, discouragement. It made sense to her in some ways. It may have been even a lashing out at God. The book of James gives us an understanding of how tough circumstances can lead to temptation and ultimately a course that's paid with destruction and sin. Listen to what it says. Each person is tempted when his own evil desire, by it, he's dragged away, enticed, and once desire Uh, is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Now, death here is not necessarily physical death he's talking about. He's talking about alienation from God. If I choose to go my own way, the separation between me and God grows. It's like, imagine any of us having a child, which many of us are parents, or I'm parents of older children and as I was raising them I say this is the way you should go and they're going this way the relationship is going to be strained because we have two different ideas of what life looks like and that's called rebellion and and the prayer and the hope is that the child will come under the counsel of the parents so that things go well with them well this is what was happening with Sarah she misunderstood her circumstances God and her ultimate solution was adultery by God's definition in Scripture. Culturally acceptable in this time by the way. It was culturally acceptable the nations around them uh, multiple wives and that kind of thing but this was not God's intention. So that's where they're at and now I want to address some of the consequences of giving in to sin and and deception. There's ten of them I listed. I'm gonna go through them rather quickly. Ten of them. Deception threatens God's vision. That's the first one. Look at the rest of verse 2. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Now this portion of scripture to me is rather puzzling. She concocts a crazy plan that's obviously not God's will and even after Abram heard what he had heard, the previous chapter where God revealed and confirmed a vision again, he goes Sarah's way instead of God's way. Now if you remember, again, God promised that out of his own body and then uh, through he and Sarah, that God would bring descendants. And now we have Sarah, a different voice, a different uh, Reason, a voice of discontent influencing Abram uh, from another side. So that's the first deception. The second is this deception leads us to where we uh, want to go, we think. Not necessarily where God wants us to be. Look at verse 4: Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. The plan that Sarah had concocted in her mind seemed reasonable enough. If God's keeping me from a baby, let me foster a family through a surrogate mother. And uh, yet, she got what her, she wanted, at least she thought, right? But look at the rest of verse 4. And this brings us to our third consequence. Deception often fosters a bitterness of heart. What she would learn is that sin never leaves anything untouched verse 4 says when Sarah knew Hagar was pregnant she began to despise her mistress and the word despise here in the Hebrew mas has two ideas attached to it the first is Sarah's heart became increasingly filled with bitterness and scorn the second idea is Hagar being the object of that scorn the recipient was a recipient of constant mockery, and belittling from Sarah. So this is not just a small squabble. This is a major tension that has crept into the family. And each day of Hagar's pregnancy, the bitterness would mount. That's the idea here. A while ago, I read this in the Daily Bread, that beautiful little pamphlet that we offer for free out there. Sin will add to your trouble, subtract from your energy, and multiply your difficulty. Fourth deception. It becomes, deception leads to irresponsibility. Look at verse 4 again. Sarah said, and I love this, you, Abram, are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Whoa! Wait a minute here. I mean, Abram could have said, this was your idea. But he listened, you see, and he didn't take leadership in the home. We see Sarah's unwillingness in her embittered state to take personal responsibility. And yes, Abram made a wrong choice here, but there's no hint of her sharing any of the responsibility. I've learned that one of the deepest forms of pride is an unwillingness to accept the consequences that we often birth from our own deceptions, our own misplaced affections. And rather than taking personal, personal responsibility, we're so quick to blame the government, blame circumstances, blame God, blame others. And meanwhile, when we do that, uh, it's an impossibility to grow because confession of sin is paramount and important to us getting close to the Lord. So the fourth one is irresponsibility. Um, You know, we have a culture of victimhood today. In United States I don't know if you notice that instead of people taking personal responsibility they're so quick to lay the blame all around them you know you look at the political discourse that's going on how nasty and everyone wants to blame all the problems on our culture and nation at someone else's feet and meanwhile we all are part of the problem are we not True repentance is the opposite of trying to justify ourselves and shift the blame. It's a willingness to accept that I've sinned before the Lord. That I've sinned against God, and now I seek to remedy that by going to him and be reconciled. That's the great invitation of Scripture, isn't it? Each of us here have made a left turn, maybe here, here today. And you're in the midst of the alley that that you didn't want to be in, where you took that left turn. Well, the good news, this is the good news of the gospel. If we turn from our sin and turn to him, scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to be willing to turn. Fifth, deception. Deception often creates conflict. Look at verse 5. I put my servant, Sarah said, in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant she despises me here we see how selfish ambition and Sarah's wrong place desires for a son has created increasing problems in her own household it hasn't remedied anything for her she's more miserable not less miserable James chapter 3 talks about the difference between heavenly wisdom And earthly wisdom. Listen to what James says in chapter 3. Earthly wisdom is full of selfish ambition and envy. It's wisdom from the devil. Where you see that kind of wisdom practice, you see every kind of disorder and evil practice. When we put our dreams and our ideas above God's direction for our lives, instead of blessing, it breeds disorder and evil practice. We see that here. Six deception, uh, six uh, consequence of deception. It creates impossible situations. Verse six. <laughs> listen to Abram's, I call politically correct response. Your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. You know, I was thinking about Abram's situation. He was truly in a, what I call catch twenty-two. Catch twenty-two is a, a book written years ago by Keller where these World War II pilots uh, were told that if they finished 20 missions, initially they were said, you finish 20 missions you can stop flying these crazy dangerous missions, bombing missions. They got to 20 and they moved it to 25, they got to 25, they moved it to 30, and the book goes like that. Catch 22. They just couldn't get out of it. So the only way was maybe the feign insanity, but they weren't even getting out of it with that. So I'll say that he was in a real catch-22. Listen, if he came to the rescue of Hagar, the situation in his home and his marriage would have worsened. If he told Sarah to get rid of Hagar, he would then be guilty of an injustice before God because she was bearing his son. The third and right possibility makes Sarah with her responsibility and actions. Seek God and do the right thing would give the appearance of not resolving, uh, it would probably not give the appearance of resolving the family tension. Excuse the expression, no matter what Abraham would do, he was damned if he did, he was damned if he didn't. And so what did he do? Nothing. Nothing. Couldn't do anything. And so it leads to impossible situations. God gets them out of it eventually, as we'll see in the next few weeks. Final... uh, consequences. Deception leads to estrangement from God. Now, if you look at the beginning of chapter 17, we're going to get into that in a couple of weeks. Abram was 99 years old when he'd hear from God next in the scriptures. That means some would estimate there was about 13 years of silence in scripture between chapters 16 and 17. Some commentators argue that Abram and Sarah's action required discipline from God which resulted in estrangement with him sin always has consequences and one of the greatest consequences of sin is our heart grows distant with God and instead of joy blessing and a sense of security an increasing agitation enters our heart final three consequences have to do, or are prophetic here. Uh, competing nation. Eventually, Hagar gives birth to a son, and his name was Ishmael. Ishmael was the father of the Arab, Arabic nations who became enemies of Israel to this day, God's people. So a competing nation, a competing religion, Arabic nations birthed Islam, and a competing Uh, and a prophecy of hostility with God's people. Uh, Just quickly, uh, years later, when Isaac is born in chapter 21 of Genesis, we see how Ishmael fosters another nation, and in the prophecy there in chapter 21, Ishmael indeed would become a great nation. And so we see the fulfillment of that even today when we look at the Middle East. Second is deception would bring another religion. Muslims and the Quran claim, this is in the Quran now, that Ishmael is the legitimate son and Isaac is the illegitimate son. Opposite of what the scripture teaches. The one stronghold in which missions have yet to significantly penetrate in the world at large is the nations of Islam. The Quran not only teaches that Jesus is not the son of God and Messiah, but also teaches that he never went to the cross or was resurrected. All this is in the Quran, even though Jesus is mentioned over 25 times in the Quran. And so you can argue that the Quran is really a cult of Christianity. And now more than a billion people are held hostage to its false system of belief without salvation in the Son of God. Instead of freedom, we see oppression. Instead of peace, we see so much violence. Instead of blessing we see so many woes on the people's lives in Syria Iraq and other places in the Middle East final thing prophetically Genesis chapter 16 verse 12 God would send an angel to Abram tell him this about this son Ishmael he will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand would be against everyone and everyone's hand against him now when you look this is thousands of years ago this prophecy was given thousands of years ago about four thousand when you look at Iran you look at Iraq Syria, Saudi Arabia, 9-11 Afghanistan Egypt Libya so many of the Arab nations what do we see? do we see a calm lamb That's going along with the world, or do we see a wild donkey of a man? How true is scripture, isn't it? How perfectly true, 4,000 years ago, a prophecy was given. But the good news is, if you read the book of Isaiah, and this is just a parenthetical thought, God prophesies also there would be a great return to the Lord from places like Egypt and Syria. And so God is not going to abandon them. It's just not his time. So I want to just close where we started. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8. Before the Apostle Paul warns us, in those, remember in those verses, not to be led captive to deception, we read this. Listen. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk with him. Being built up and established in your faith, overflowing with thanksgiving. Let me just repeat that verse. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk with him, being built up, established in your faith, overflowing thanksgiving. Just three things we'll just walk away with here this morning. First, make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Stop going left. He's calling you to go right, go right. That's what it means to, to make Jesus Christ his Lord. It means you take your hands off the wheel. You let Jesus take the wheel. Remember that crazy song? Another illustration. Don't be the captain of your own boat. Let him be the captain. You be co-captain. Okay? That's number one. So the first one is make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Second, walk with him in the, the verb there, paripatet, oh, beautiful, Verb. It's the actually uh, walk with uh, attention to the detail of your life. Recognize that if you're going left, there's going to be great negative consequences and be willing to go the way of the Lord. The result is that in Christ we're built up, not torn down. We're established, not uprooted. Finally, overflow with thanksgiving. It's good news this morning that we're here and that God has given each of us here a vision of himself. A vision of his goodness, that he'll take care of us in the midst of our difficulty. That even though time may be inserted into whatever you're facing, he's working all things out for the good. And ultimately, a vision that in this life, this world, we can be a light for Christ and have heaven at its end. Those are good things. Amen? Father, we're grateful for your word, your goodness, your affections, and your love towards us. Help us to leave here encouraged concerning your care for us, that in Christ, you have good things in store for us because you are good.